0: RadioInfluence.com. Welcome to episode five of the Fight HQ Podcast with the Fighter Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Floyd coming here on this uh Monday, August the 31st. Pete, I cannot believe tomorrow is September the first. Me either,
1: brother. Um, you know the quarantine threw a monkey wrench in a ton of plans, and the summer—summer summer is weird, man. And, you know, because like you had time off, but everything was shut down and things were limited. So, um, it's a weird year, bro. <laughs> like 2021 can't come fast enough.
0: Yeah, man. It's uh, September. Uh, we're we're two weeks from the first NFL game. I'm actually starting my my uh my meetings tomorrow bright and early tomorrow morning so uh football season's here man it's uh been been playing a little madden 21 by the way whether you're a fan of the bucks or not a fan of the bucks play them in madden i feel like offensively it's a cheat code yeah
1: yeah i mean there's no way that offense is uh you know you can compare to that offense and it's on another level. I mean, you got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Tom Brady, Gronkowski, OJ Howard, and you know Peyton Barber. So it's just insane. No, like no, the, no Peyton you know,
0: Barber. Peyton Barber. Oh, is, that's
1: right. What's Ronald Jones? I'm sorry. Yeah, right?
0: yeah, you got you got you got Rojo. Um, Shady McCoy will be your third down back. Uh, don't forget Cam Braid as well. Uh, it is, uh, I, I, I just, I, I was, uh, I was playing a little bit, uh, on thir- Thursday night. I, had, I downloaded the MVP, so it gave you the, the, you know, the early access to it. And so, man, it was just like, I'm just playing the franchise mode, and I'm just like, good Lord, this is like a cheat code.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, and it's going to be a very difficult offense to prepare for. So I'm excited. I had my first fantasy draft, uh, yesterday. So I made sure that, you know, I, I, tried to get as many pieces as possible, but, um, you know, between the bucks and, uh, the Texans offense, I, I'm, I'm pretty
0: set. Yeah. I want to say that, uh, my, I only play in one fantasy league and, uh, it's, uh, what's to say Sunday. Yes. Yeah, sun, Sunday or Monday. One of the, one of the two. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't play, I don't play a ton of fantasy football. You know, I just, I just don't, you know, it's, uh, you know, just I I've, I I've, I've, I play my, my one league year, have a little fun with it, and uh, well, that's about it, man. But uh, but how, man, how was your weekend, man? We, we haven't talked since uh, late Saturday night following the UFC event. Um, you know, one of the things I saw during during and after this event was over is, and let me just say this: I don't disagree with this mindset at all. Of right now the ufc is very much in a fight quantity over quality yeah now yeah. I, I mean we're we're in a situation where you know, look like we we financially make money on this sport but i was thinking about it from a a fan's perspective i wonder how many fans watch these fights after the fact to just Fast forward through all the filter content we get during these fight cards.
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, props to Dana White for putting on so many shows, but we are definitely at a time over of quantity over quality, like you mentioned. Um, you know, and I also think that the, uh, the pandemic has kind of thrown a monkey wrench in a, a ton of fighters plans, training camps plans, uh, the health of athletes, um how many people on their roster that they're you know that are at their disposal uh so so i think it's giving opportunities to other fighters that are willing to step up we always mention if you were in vegas or you were looking to get on a ufc card go to vegas because that is the time to do it now uh, to get on one of those uh contender series fights or as a late minute replacement um seeing tons of you know Tons of fights where people are missing weight. Tons of fights where fighters are dropping out due to injury or COVID tests. Um, You know, so I understand uh, what Dana White's doing. It's kind of like keeping a streak alive. Like he's trying to keep that streak (laughs) to be like, uh, we had shows on from the, whatever, the fourth week of the pandemic, whatever it was, until, you know, everything, you know, normalized. You know, say it was like, six straight months. They had a UFC card for six straight months. It's kind of almost like they want to just be able to say something huge like that one day. And uh, as long as they have fighters willing to step up, I I believe that we'll continue to have shows.
0: All right. The number is one and a half over under fight changes this week. For the UFC card? Yeah.
1: Um, I'm going to say we're going to have one change. I think we're going to have a normal card. I don't know you know I'll, I'll take the under on that I, I'm gonna hope it you gotta smash the over every week usually I'm looking at it right now um okay so we have the OSP uh, Alonzo Menafield fight on that again so who knows if that that's probably the one that I would circle as if it will actually happen
0: yeah it's uh I mean, we had the one change. The one change we've already seen already was where Ricky Simone pulled out of the fight card. Wow. I did see that they've already got a replacement for Brian Kellher. Um, but yeah, I mean, as of right now, if you look on Tapology, uh, there is four uh, fights that have already been uh, postponed from this. Ryan Kellher now going to take on Kevin who who is has fought for LFA primarily. Yep. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's uh, and it, it is crazy. It, it's just it's it's, I, and I don't know what it is, but we really, we didn't really see this happen in Fight Island. I I don't know if it's because of fighters essentially getting there sooner than maybe they would for a Vegas card. I don't I don't mm-hmm. know if that has something to do with it or not. But man, it is it's crazy. It's like you said, man. If you're if you're a fighter that is on the verge of potentially getting a UFC call you might as well just, you know what, where, where do you want to train in Vegas and, and just, you know, you know, maybe if you got someone in the fight community you're friends with, like, Hey man, can I rent a room for a month and just hope you get a fight? Yeah.
1: I mean, if I was in Vegas and say my record was better at the moment, I would be DMing uh, or having everybody I know, DMing all the matchmakers and Dana white every single day, letting them know I'm in Vegas. If something happens, um, I believe that's what Trevin Jones did uh, a couple weeks ago when he took out to Valiev and it seems like a couple weeks ago. I think it was last weekend. But, um, you know, smart man. It's a very smart man. has a decent record, you know, just sees the opportunity. And, uh, you know, my dad always says, you know, this game's about just showing up. And when an opportunity knocks like this, you really just have to answer it and, and not let it pass you
0: by. That is a great way, Pete Senior, to, to put it. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I talk about it in business all the time, And When when opportunity knocks, you got to take advantage of it. And uh, look, I, I've done it literally all of my career. Like, I'll, I'll I'll give you a little story. I when I was so when I started radio, I started radio in two thousand two, and mm-hmm. started as an intern. And I'll never forget when I went to um for the interview. And they were like, "Hey, have you ever driven a van? What do you think?" I said, "Of course, you gotta say yes." <laughs> I had never driven a van in my life, <laughs> but you know, I got the job, and uh, and so it was the spring of 2004. They were like, "Hey, we want to, we want to teach you how to engineer a broadcast and and the reason and that was the year." Um, at that time, I did not work. Uh, I did not have any. I did not work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio network at all, and they had just acquired the rights to the the Buccaneers radio uh, network, and uh, and basically like, hey, look, you know, this is what we want to do. This is the plan, and and so I I started learning in April, and come September, I'm sitting in a 10, 10 by ten room, you know, recording the John Gruden show. That's amazing. So, so and. And I'm, you know, it's 2020 and I'm still doing work for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it's, you know, it, and and that's the way I've always looked at things. It's like, you know, and and fighting's a perfect example of that, of, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, a guy up there in the Northeast that we're both familiar with, Dennis Paiva, getting an opportunity on the Contender Series. You know, we, we've we talked about on, on this show and our shows on Osimo of the lack of opportunities that are there right now for Northeast fighters just because these promotions just can't put shows on. And and so you got to take advantage of of those opportunities. Like when when I hear of a fighter turning down a contender series fight, and yes, I have heard it, I I sit there and go, man, you better be hurt. Because if you say no to Mick Maynard or Sean Shelby to get on the contender series, the odds of them coming back to you again are probably not high.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, first, that's Awesome, inspiring story. I mean, it's crazy how things work out and how one thing can actually lead to a bunch of better things down the road. And uh, props to you. Um, As far as answering the Contender Series call, I have a buddy of mine who believes that he doesn't believe in the Contender Series as, he brings up some great points, as the best um, decision because it's very risky. You're going in there faced against a very tough opponent. Um, so you're probably going to have your hardest matchup to date. And it's probably not going to be stylistically, stylistically what you're looking for, right? Um, you're not guaranteed to get a contract. You could go there, fight a tough fight, and lose. Um, and he believes that it's probably a better idea to stay regionally and just start beating – can continue to beat regional guys – and hope that you actually get that true UFC call. Now, does have the UFC matchmakers eliminated that process and they've kind of developed their matchmaking process of evaluating fighters through the contender series as their main way and their gateway to getting talent? Or, um, you know, would they only sign somebody to the UFC? as a last-minute replacement, um, you know, and everything else will have to go through the contender series because it's an interesting point, Jason.
0: I don't disagree with what your buddy said there. It is very high-risk, high-reward type mentality. I mean, let's look at last week of Jamie Pickett. It was his third opportunity on the contender series. If he doesn't get the win, I don't think an opportunity – ever comes for him again. I mean, he mentioned that before he got the call with this, he probably was done being a fighter, you know, just of, you know, hey, I'd made this run with it. And I mean, look, obviously the time we're in changes a lot of that because there's not a lot of opportunities, but also where I think the, you know, a. Part of the contender series allure that fighters have is obviously it is the clear path to get to the UFC. There, there's not a clear path to get there. You know, I mean, yes, you can go fight on promotion that that's on UFC Fight Pass. Okay, yes, and, and clearly the, the matchmakers are going to have good film footage to watch of you as opposed to, you know, maybe the footage they find of you if it's a non televised card is you know through a cell phone or whatnot. It's not great. You know, it's not a high def. Um, video feed for them, but to it, but also the part of the contender series of why fighters like it so much is the pay. Go go tell me on the regional scene, taking out ticket sales commission. Where do you make a guaranteed five thousand dollars?
1: Are they getting five and five, or is it okay? Yep. Yeah, so that's a you know that's a very good pay. Um, and I think most fighters will accept that because of uh, obviously the pay. But I think a you know, few of them will overlook the pay and think of easiest path potentially to land in the UFC. Now, the unknown of never getting signed and just continually to be a, a, a regional legend is a, you know, is a true possibility. That could actually happen. We know plenty of fighters that have dominated the regional scene and never actually got the call, even though they probably should have. So um, I understand what my buddy's saying, and I, I do recognize the risk in it, but let me tell you Dana white Dana White or any of his you know employees contact you that's like that's legendary right there. so it would take a brass pair to really turn down that.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know how and especially in today's world, I don't know how you turn down that opportunity, but I have heard fighters do it in the past, you know, and and look, it's it, it's a great opportunity but high risk, high reward. The the only the one thing that I do not like about the contender series is I believe that sometimes whether it's the manager, whether it's a coach, whether it's the fighter of if you're 1-0, 2-0, I do not believe contender series is the right route for you now. Look, if you're uh, say a 2 and 0 heavyweight and you're 34 years old, okay, I get that. But if yeah. like you're a a 2 and 0 155 or you're 23 years old, I just don't think it's a good decision to go on the contender series. I, I think there's times where I look at some fighters who go on the contender series and I go I- is it just too fast because like let's say you're 2 and 0, 3 and 0, let's even say 4 and 0. So, do you want your 3rd, 4th, 5th or 6th fight to already be in the UFC? Like because the one thing is is like you don't want to be that raw of a fighter and be in the UFC because no matter what, there is no easy fights in the UFC. You know, it, it's just and the UFC's never you know really had this mentality of slow building fighters. I mean, like uh, an example of that would be look at Bellator Bellator does slow build fighters and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not the UFC's mentality.
1: Yeah. I I think um, you're starting to see prospects get destroyed. And if you've been paying attention to the last few weeks, you've actually noticed that Uh, we can think about Edmund Shabazian uh, after a couple big wins, he faces a proven uh, veteran and Derek Brunson who actually thought that he was going to go out there and just put away early. And, you know, we see the veteran get it done. Um, you think about Sugar Sean O'Malley against Marlon Vera, similar thing. Prospects getting derailed completely. But the UFC is the best at building talent. There's no questions about that. Um, if you are four or five and zero, oh, or you know less than that, and you are on the contender series, you're most likely not ready for the UFC to begin with. Um, that, in my opinion, is like a um, an Ultimate Fighter type of record. Like I, you know, Ultimate Fighter comes around every now and then. But I think that is more of the place for a fighter like you. If they had, like, a UFC uh, AAA or something, you would be in that. You know what I mean? Like the minor leagues of the UFC. Um, but, I mean, we're, we're seeing the Contender Series this week headlined by two and one fighters, and that absolutely blows my mind. And, um, you, you know, you bring up a great point. If you get an early opportunity— Early in your your career, when you probably haven't reached your potential or nowhere near it, and you probably still have flaws, and you go on the contender series and lose, well, you're probably never getting a call again unless you just really make a statement on the regional scene.
0: Yeah, it's just, you know... And it's a tough call to turn down. I look at that. We'll talk a little bit more about the contender series later on in the show, but do want to talk about a couple of things that we saw on Saturday's UFC fight card course. What we'd like to do is, you know, get to your your perspective as a fighter on some of these things. Um, first off, let's talk about the main event and Anthony Smith and Alexander Rakic. Great performance by Alexander Rakic. You know, it, it's a... It, it's a... Look, it was a great performance by him. Um, You know, watching the fight, a couple of thoughts I had was if you were looking to leapfrog the Glover Tiago Santos winner to get the winner of the vacant. Uh, you know, title fight that we have coming up next month, or I guess this month, you know, since we're, you know, four weeks away from that fight between Dom Reyes and Jan Blachowicz, to me, that is not the type of performance that is going to elevate you up and put you above that. Um, you know, but like we, we joke about like when you had that fight, you know, last February where, you know, you told me like, hey, I want to stick on, you know, stay on this on the feet, but then you ultimately take the fight to the ground. And we joke about that. But I actually thought about that watching this fight based on what you had said to me, you know, over the course of, of time where you said, you know what, when I got to the ground, I just felt my opponent's strength. And I'm like, oh, man, I am so much stronger, this guy. And as I was watching that sequence, as much as I was like, dude, just stand up, just chop away at those legs, you're going to get the finish on the feet. But then I was also like, man, I, I, I was like, he mu- his fight IQ must be telling him this guy ha- has nothing for me on the ground. So why put myself in a potential decision where, you know, what if Anthony Smith lands one, you know, as you always say, all it takes is one shot.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, shout out to my boy Rackage, man. I, I absolutely love Rackage. I don't know why, but every now and then you find fighters that you really like, and he's one of them for me. I, I just, I just like everything about him. Uh, I like his story. I like his style, um, You know, very impressive performance. Definitely not what I was expecting. I did think that people would underestimate, um, you know, Rackage's ground game. I didn't think that he'd go so offensive with it because we we discussed how Anthony Smith would look to, you know, take him down and put him basically, uh, you know, in the most vulnerable position ever. Um, You know, Anthony Smith looked okay mentally. But I think you just saw the, the size and the strength really, you know, just favor uh, rackage in this fight like big time. And, it's you know, exactly what you brought up when, you know, I was in that fight and my opponent tied up with me and I had underhooks. And I'm like, man, this kid, like even when he tried to take me down, he just didn't have anything for me. And I'm like, OK, I'm so much stronger than him. And I feel like I can just absolutely dominate wherever we are. But since you're giving me these underhooks, I'm going to use them. And I did, and um, I think that's what we saw in the Rackage fight. I mean, I, the one worry I, I was like kind of like continuously saying is watch out for the triangle because you saw Anthony Smith looking to set up the triangle a lot with a lot of wrist control and head control, trying to stuff and cut an angle to then wrap up a triangle. Um, that's literally the only thing I was worried about um, for Rackage. I think Rakic could have had the same exact performance using, you know, good takedowns and good top game and everything if he went to the ground and pound well a little bit more. Like if he stepped into half guard and half guard, people don't understand half guard is probably the best ground and pound position. When you're in full guard, you're in somebody's guard and they have their legs wrapped around you. Whenever you miss a shot, you're overextending your arms, which leads to leads to a lot of arm bars. That's why we see it a lot in women's MMA. Uh, you know, you, you can you know, miss a shot and then get caught in a triangle stepping into half guard. You can really shut down your opponent's uh, entire game. You, you are limited to a few submissions that you have to worry about, have to worry about a Kimura attempt. But for the most part. As long as you just stay heavy on top, you can control him and pound him out. So he had excellent positions. I just think in Dana's eyes, that didn't deserve like what he's saying, a a title fight. And I understand Anthony Smith, you know, we were thinking big things for him in the two oh five division, but Rakic needs another win. So I I think a matchup with a guy like uh, a Jiri Prajaka, even though like Jiri has has one one fight in the UFC, I think that would be an interesting fight. And uh, you know, they're both pretty high ranked. They they have Yuri Prijaka ranked pretty high. I think he's like sixth or something like that with one win in the UFC. So holy hype.
0: That is the fight that I mentioned after the fight was over. I said if he's looking for a quick turnaround, as opposed to waiting to see what happens with Glover, Tiago, and, and and Dom and Jan, then you know Yuri is the the fight that makes the most sense. But I would think that if I am in the coach slash manager role of Alexander Rakic, I am telling him, look, let's let's be ready just in case one of these guys falls out. Give put yeah. put yourself in the best opportunity to succeed. It's just like as you mentioned what your father says to you you know when that opportunity knocks you got to you got to bust through that door you got you got to take advantage of that opportunity you know it it was one of those performances where if it was a contender series fight you know cuz this is yeah. th- th- like this is the, the one thing that's very interesting to me about the contender series and i i feel bad for fighters like like you think of Anthony Romero last week where i think he should I, it's a if we were in normal times where the UFC was doing fights in front of fans, I think Anthony Romero gets signed because they need Canadian fighters. Um, yeah, but also, sense. like, I feel bad for fighters who are in that position of you have worked all the way to this moment. You have got a television camera in front of you. And you're hearing Dana White explain why he's not going to sign you. That has got to be one of the lowest moments of your MMA career. I mean, like, look, it's a low moment when you lose. You don't go out there and have performance you want. But like, I was looking at it from an Anthony Romero aspect. I'm like, this has got to be like, because you could see it in his facial expressions of like, oh, my God. Now, something to note about these contender series contracts is the UFC has a 30-day clause to sign you. So it's not like Anthony Romero go sign with Bellator tomorrow. There's a 30-day clause. So I, I, I'd be surprised if Anthony Romero doesn't find himself maybe on their contender series fight or or, or maybe a short-notice fight. But it was, speaking of the racket it made me think of, like, if that was a contender series fight, I could see Dana White railing on him for not yeah. going for the finish.
1: Yeah, I mean... If you think about it, Dana White, weeks ago or maybe months ago, he, you know, Curtis Blades was talking a lot leading up to the Volkov fight about how he's going to win the title and and be this and be that. And he had an absolutely dominating performance, like a very dominant performance against Volkov. And then in the post fight, I mean, he eventually ran out of gas and, you know, he didn't get the finish that he was hoping for. In the post-fight Dana's like, you know, this guy was talking so much after the fight, and then he goes out there and he fights like that, and it's not really impressive. So to him, for him to not think that Curtis Blades was impressive, I can only imagine his take on uh, Rakic's fight. Even though Rakic looks like a superhero and he, you know, he strikes really hard and all of these things, and there's so much hype behind him, I can see him having a very critical. um you know, outlook on that fight. And if it's in the contender series, you wonder if he would get a contract. Probably not, but these guys already have contracts and they are fighting some of the best fighters in the world. Then, in that case to, you know, in the Curtis blades fight and this fight guys in the top 10, top five. So like you need to make sure that you get a W now you can do so and do more than what rackage did, but it's the safe way out. Like you want to just get that W push you to the front of the line. And that's essentially what he did. Um, the, the problem is in Dana's eyes, like in the contender series, the whole, we need finishes or like we need finishers. That's like the narrative of the show. So I feel like despite good performances or whatnot, every now and then he'll, he'll sign somebody that doesn't get a finish, but they're going to stick with that narrative because it's exciting. You know, it's exciting. They're looking for guys who finish fights, but the, the reality is that finishes will start to become harder to come by as you increase your level of competition. And uh, that's why when you see guys finishing people at the high end of the sport, you really need to pay attention to them.
0: I think an example of that is you look at Impa, you know, he's not getting the finishes, but that was a great performance that he had on Saturday night. I was I was more impressed with Impa on Saturday night than I've been in his contender series fights. I thought he fought a great fight. Man, Malky Patolo, that dude can just take some shots. He can throw some coconut bombs, but he can take some bombs on that chin. There were times yeah. that fight. I'm like, I, I. it's one of those things. of like, you know, cause we see this and obviously you being, you know, a fighter. I'm sure you've been in this situation where like, you're just throwing these bombs on someone and you're just like, what is it going to take for this dude to drop? Yeah, some, t- some people can weather it. And uh, some
1: people get defeated. Like if you can hit somebody and they seem unfazed and you don't put them away, some fighters actually lose confidence by not being able to put them away. They they think like they have the Terminator in front of them. But if you're still winning the fight and you're just piecing them up, as long as you can handle the pressure that they give you, um, you know, you're gonna be on your way to a dominant victory like uh Impa Kasanganai was. And uh, you know, it, it was a very good performance from Impa. Um, I thought that he looked a little bit better this fight. Now, is Maki real UFC level? You know what I mean? Like, yes, he's what's he, one and three now or one, whatever he is, uh, in the UFC. Like Using that fight as a barometer, it's very tough because I want to see. Imp, but Impa's young too; he's like seven and zero now, eight and zero. So I, I kind of just, if they could build these guys slow, not like the boxing type of build, like you know, handing them bums. But at, you're in the UFC, just slowly build some guys so you don't, you know, derail their career, so to speak.
0: Can Crusher would be another uh, term that yeah. gets thrown out there. Yeah, that, That's always a, uh, you know, there, there's a gif out there of a Coca-Cola can being crushed that sometimes <laughs> you'll see when people talk about certain fighters uh, on the regional scene. You know, Anthony Smith, before we kind of move on, you know what the crazy thing about Anthony Smith is? You realize he's only 32 years old?
1: That's crazy because the guy has like 50 fights, um, you know, and the amount of fights and the amount of damage that we've seen – really raises a a red flag. Now, I was very surprised that uh, Rakic didn't really test that chin of his because you kind of just had to hit him a few times. And after all that damage from Glover Teixeira less than three months ago, that off switch is there.
0: You know, another before we get to our our technique of the week, which is going to be the mounted guillotine that that Sean Brady used in in his fight. uh, I want to talk about Ricardo Lamas as uh, after his win against Bill Algeo, a fight that um, you know I think you could make the case that. Bill Algeo was up 2018, potentially heading into third. Best case, 19-19, but just a, a dominating uh, third round by Ricardo Lamas. But it was after the fact or Ricardo Lamas talked about how he's been thinking about retirement, and, and this was his quote, and, and he is noncommittal on this. He goes, I've been kind of wrestling with the idea of hanging the gloves up. That's something I want to talk to my family about first before making a decision. Since my fight with Jason Knight, which was a few years ago, I've been kind of contemplating. I remember for the fight, I told my wife, "I was like, if I have a good performance in the fight, I might call it a career." But the thing is, with this sport, is you have to you have to have a good performance and you have to win, and then you want to win another, and then it becomes like an addiction, and obviously, you keep chasing those victories. Um, you know, it, it's when I when I heard his his thoughts on, on the broadcast. My, my first thought was like, okay, this is something that probably has been on his mind for a while, you know, you know, kind of, I, I guess he's at that point in his career where you sit there and say, you know, what is my path to the title? You know, but you know, obviously there's also fires that are like, you know what, I, I just want to keep fighting what, as long as I can get a paycheck and still be competitive and 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 all those things. Um, you know, and, and also, you know, it's, he, he talks about that kind of addiction. And I'm sure you can kind of relate to this or been around people that you know can relate to this.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, the competitor in in all of us, it's um, you want to get involved, whether it's fighting or being around. That's why fighters make a a big transition into coaching, because it's kind of like you're still feeling that same feelings of fighting and getting in there without the risk. And now you're really just responsible for your athlete. Um, fighting is probably one of the most addi- addictive things in the world. I'm not addicted to anything other than exercise and fighting, and um, it's kind of been my my drug, I guess, ever since I got into it. It's um, it's very rewarding when you win a fight. The stress and all the lead up to a fight you can't really describe it. Walking out to a fight is a very nice experience. The the back behind the doors when you're warming up is probably the most brutal thing in the world and probably the scariest, you know, however long you're sitting there looking at the clock and it feels like it's like three hours away. And then you look at the clock and it's an hour away and you're like, oh my gosh. But uh, you you just start getting better with that stress. And a buddy of mine, Cowboy Cerrone, talks about it, of how it's very, very terrifying to actually – Like walk out, but if you can somehow start to enjoy that, and uh, you know, it's crazy what you can actually start to accomplish. Now, in saying all of that about the negatives of it, it's weird because you kind of want to experience. It's so weird because you hate it when you're when you're experiencing it, and then like say when you're away from fighting, you're like, man, I want to feel that again. I want to feel alive again, like. So I understand what he's saying completely. Now, uh, he did not have the best performance against Bill Algio because Bill Algio, I thought, was on his way to winning that fight until the 10-8, you know, third round, where Ricardo Lamas really started to rely on his grappling, which started to prove the difference in his strong wrestling and top game. Um, but Bill Algio for a last, you know, a short-notice fight, I thought, you know, he looked incredible. He brought it to a guy that was in the elite part of the division at one time and i think that's what you mentioned before the the show is what's struggling in ricardo lamas's mind is like at one time i was elite now a guy takes a fight on short notice and i was on my way to losing that so like i'm not going to be able to compete with some of the best in the world but i also wasn't happy with my performance and i want to go out there and like redeem myself and say i'm still good but I want to retire at the same time, so it's almost like when you want, you want, you want, you end up in that Daniel Cormier, you know, type of position where that made sense because they were one-one in, you know, the, you know, their history for the title and everything, and there was so much riding on that. But if you come out on the wrong end of it, now you could really, you know, be in like a depression. It's weird, but. Like I, I saw the interview of Daniel Cormier, and he does look like mentally defeated. So it's it's always great to be optimistic, but you have to start to be realistic when you're at the end.
0: So as we're doing a show, I get a text message. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you have you seen that Brock Lesnar is a free agent. Yes, I did see that. So the text message I got was Jones calling out Brock. LOL. So I just I was like, all right, let me pop let me pop over to uh, old Johnny Bones's Twitter account. These are all tweets within the last hour, by the way. Oh Stipe doesn't want to fight Francis again because the first fight w- really wasn't close. Looking at it from Stipe's point of view, fighting Francis again is definitely more of a lose situation than a win. Stipe asked for a new challenger. Why not fight the light heavyweight goat? Besides, we're way closer in size. What's more exciting than that? Uh, by the time he heals up, my body weight should be right where it needs to be. This fight lines up perfectly. Stepe versus Francis is a high-risk, low-reward. Stipe versus myself actually makes a lot of sense for both of us. Now you actually have a super fight. Stepe loses the fight, is gone. And then his last tweet, Brock, I'll beat your ass too. Look, this yeah. is, it, look it is... Uh, I actually saw someone, even though I I saw a little bit of DC's show on ESPN's YouTube channel today, where you could definitely tell he's done. You can definitely tell he's done. It's just, but I think it's also, it's this, where in the fight game, 1% of fighters have, have, have the opportunities that DC has. And I wonder how much of that. Lays into it uh, of, you know, and he mentioned about the fact of, you know, I, that Monday after the fight was over, his phone is just ringing with, with people wanting to get there. But I mean, look, whenever John Jones fights, I, it, whether it's Stipe or, or or whoever, I'm very interested to see that fight. My guess is that probably Stipe is probably very interested in John Jones' fight because he understands how much that's going to help his bank account. You know, and, and to tie that back to Carl Lamas, I, I guess the whole thing with him is what's your bank account look like? I mean, I mean, that's just. That's the reality of the situation. Um, but also it, it, it makes me wonder, is has he gotten to a point where the injuries are mounting up? And he's just like, my body is trying to tell me something.
1: Yeah, so like for a fighter, especially you know in the upper 30s or 40s, it's difficult to let go. A lot of people have l- uh, trouble letting go of the past to begin with. Never mind an accomplished world class elite level athlete. Sometimes, like you know, when you're in the spotlight, and you know, it's it's nice to relive those moments and try to always be on top. Um, And I think that's why some fighters struggle with that is they they're longing for more, but it actually starts to hurt them more than it can help them by by taking more opportunities. And you see that a lot about fighters. They just don't know when to quit. And, uh, you know, quitting is not a term that any fighter will ever really think of, but that's, that's, you just got to know when to stop. Um, for DC, he has opportunities like crazy for anything. Um, but I want to see how that loss affects his mental health. Obviously he's still upset about it. And I'm a little worried because I I want, I want to make sure that he's good and I understand financially he'll be set everything, but as a competitor size, side i want to make sure that he's all right um john jones is going to be john jones and i think that he will absolutely dominate even the heavyweight division i think he presents a lot of problems for people stipe he's kind of i've never really been impressed with stipe and i know that he just keeps going out there and winning and has a very very like tough resume of who he's fought and who he's beaten but I remember like seeing Stipe when he first came into the UFC and I was in Vegas and I placed money on Stefan Struve and I got that W. So like, I don't know. I have seen Stipe fold before and I've seen Stipe in vulnerable, vulnerable positions. Um, you think of where Overeem was, you know, probably seconds away from potential, you know, like he had good moments in that fight as well. Uh, I think Stipe is not going to be able to compete that well with John Jones. Um, I think people are underestimating John Jones. Now, you mentioned I think a couple podcasts ago, and I actually you know, took some thought. And I think DC, he says he's done. But a fight with Brock Lesnar would make a lot of sense. And the, the reason being because it's a very winnable fight for DC. Uh, DC has great wrestling, so does Brock Lesnar. But DC has better boxing than Brock, obviously. Um, there was a time when, when DC captured both belts, it was the, the, champ champ that, uh, Brock stepped into the octagon and was there at the fight for whatever reason and then shoved DC. So if the UFC comes knocking and I know DC, DC is really only interested for belts. One super fight going out on top would make a lot of sense. And you make a ton of money. You'd make championship belt money for a super fight with Brock Lesnar. And you already don't like the guy. The guy already shoved you. Um, I think that's a fight to make. I really do. Seeing John Jones fight Brock Lesnar, that's a joke. I don't want to see that at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, when when the UFC puts a paycheck in front of you and and you believe, it's just like, you go, man, I I know I can win this fight. It's it's all I think you know. It's always going to be hard for someone to uh, to walk away from that. Uh, you know our technique of the week. We want to go to the Sean Brady and Christian Aguilera fight where uh, Sean Brady gets into the guillotine choke. I do want to give a lot of kudos to Paul Felder in that fight. I thought he did a really great job of not having biased commentary during the fight. I think it's. I mean, look, we see it in MMA of where you know, you're 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 trained with that fighter and and your your commentary can sometimes be a little biased. But I thought Paul did a really good job in that fight, even though I know how close he is with Sean Brady. And I mean, and he and right when Sean got that mounted guillotine locked in. And I mean he was even, you know, breaking it down during the broadcast of what Sean was doing to get to that position. Um, where basically I think you even text me, you're like, he essentially tapped with his feet. Um, you know, so Kind of break this one down. Uh, first off, start off with uh, offensively what you're trying to do to get in that position. And then defensively, how can you defend it?
1: Yeah, so uh, offensively, um, say you went for a guillotine or whatnot and your opponent rolls, you could come, basically follow them and say, it's a, lot, a lot of guys, when they go to the ground, they, they enjoy having head control. So if you like having head control and say an underhook, um, you can have a lot of control over your opponent say we're in side control And then the next step to submitting somebody because you're not going to f- submit them from from side control with that Would be to step over and to mount now Uriah Faber is probably one of the best guys when it comes to guillotine chokes And actually if you go back he submitted Dominic Cruz with this mounted guillotine Um you can create a lot of torque on the neck and you can put your opponents in a lot of pain now not too often you see fighters go unconscious from it because you're not connecting your hands when you're on top. Because look, if I'm fully mounting somebody and I have my arm wrapped around their neck, I don't want to commit both of my hands because then I'm, very, I'm going to be able to get reversed very easily side to side. I have nothing keeping me firm on the mat. So what you saw Sean Brady do, and you have to look close, is he had the head, but he had the hand stuffed on the mat very close. So when he has that hand on the mat, he's able to arch his hips and put a lot of torque on that neck. So it's a one-arm technique, but say you do get rolled, all you have to do is just connect your hands, and you have a beautiful guillotine there. Now – As far as the guy with that on, obviously the best, you know, escape is just don't even get put, don't put yourself in that position. And, uh, I've been in this position before and I got out of it and I worked out of it and, uh, you can really get out if you know how to escape mount. Now you need to buck your hips and try to either get butterflies or you need to try to capture their leg and regain half guard. Uh, it's very difficult when you're getting choked, but I mean, if it's if it's that tight, you need to obviously address the choking hand because he he's only has you know one arm on the mat, one arm on your neck. So uh, a lot of guys tap due to pain, and this is one of the few instances you'll see this this technique actually put somebody to sleep. And it was a very powerful technique. And Sean Brady, it's clearly his go-to kind of like Ovi, you know OSP with his uh, Saint Cru choke.
0: Yeah, I mean just a, a great performance. You know, I saw some people mention not saying that this fight should be next by any stretch of imagination, but down the road, what does a Sean Brady versus uh Cheminette fight look like?
1: That's an interesting one. Um I think Chimayev would be a little bit too big for Brady because Brady, well, what weight was that fight at, Jason?
0: that was Brady's a 170 year Jamayaov he fought that uh the UFC debut at, at 185 but he's a he's a seven year
1: yeah okay I'm I still feel like Jamaya would be like really big in that situation um probably not a, a matchup that I'm too fond of I think that Brady has a ton of different matchups that make a lot of sense that one you don't want to derail a guy who's undefeated with another guy who's undefeated uh, you don't want that who's owes going to go type of scenario unless it's on a big, big card.
0: No, I'm totally with you. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about this week is obviously tomorrow's contender series. Uh, as I look at the fight card, uh, yeah, there's there's two fights that really stick out to me and it's just primarily of knowing the fighters. That's William Knight and Cody Brundage. Of course, William Knight has been on a developmental contract. Uh, he did miss weight earlier today. I, I did see wow. that. I'm not sure if he, he re re-we- reweighed back in, but I know he did initially uh, miss weight there. Uh, and Cody Brundage, who I've uh, interviewed Cody a couple times, um, he has moved his training out to Denver. One of the things that I thought was really interesting that he had mentioned to me we talked about I don't know two two and a half weeks ago. Is that the initial plan was for him to just go out there and get like a week's worth of training? And he and the his takeaways were a he got there and realized like okay this is the type of room I need to be in. I need to be a room where I'm not the big fish. And which I basically took as back at his home gym in in Michigan, guys weren't he wasn't having bad days in the gym is about the best way I would take it. Wait, wait, wait. He prefaced it to me. The other thing that he said, he goes that after he had that week where coach Montoya was asking, well, what's the plan? And basically coach Montoya basically simply said, look, look for us to really gain momentum with you. You got to be here full time. And so he and his wife, uh, Amanda, Bobby Brunage, you may know as Amanda, Bobby Cooper, uh, they packed up and and they moved and, uh, they're, they're now living in Denver. And, uh, they recently announced on social media that uh, Amanda Bobby is pregnant, so they're expecting a child. So congratulations to them. And, uh, you know, so interesting to see what happens there. Uh, the other fight I would mention is the flyweight matchup between Jimmy Flick and Nate Smith. Uh, Nate Smith is a guy I've interviewed a couple of times, definitely someone to pay attention there. That's actually a fight I believe the winner will get signed by the UFC because of the division.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an it's a very interesting card. Um, You spoke of Cody Brunnage against William Knight. William Knight is from Connecticut up here. Um, I've seen him fight locally. Um, We've seen him on a contender series. The guy's very explosive standing up. He's a very good uh, striker. He's a good good fighter overall, but we have seen him when he gets put on his back that he can be controlled and outworked. He had one of the best comfort behind wins on the contender series. But, uh, you know, if you're able to control William Knight and basically neutralize the threat um, and take him down, and I think Cody Brundage is just going to look to do that. He, he has some great grappling, and uh, it's a very interesting matchup, testing the cardio of Knight uh, as far as heavy grappling approach. Um, you know, If you can't get William Knight down, he'll try to punish you with his heavy hands, and uh, that's a fight I'm looking forward to. Um, Jose Johnson is uh, the, the next fight against Ronnie Lawrence, and uh, Jose Johnson has one of the best knockouts I've seen, and probably one of the scariest knockouts I've ever seen. If you ha- if you ha- don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Google Jose Johnson, and he lands an elbow when his opponent's trying to take him down. And I've never seen somebody just go completely limp and flat and immediately like it was like somebody shut the lights off. Um, so I- I'm interested to see this fight, the Jimmy Flick Nate Smith. I'd have to agree with you that the winner of that will probably make it into the UFC. Um, Jimmy Flick has some excellent submissions going up against Nate Smith, who seems like he has great wrestling and a good overall game. So can Jimmy Flick actually get him down to the mat and try to submit him? Because that's definitely the play for Flick. Um, and then you have the main event, two and one fighters, Jason. It's pretty crazy. Uh, Melsick, but uh, Badarassian, against Dennis Bajuka. Uh, Melsick's coming from uh, – you know, Emmett Tavarian's camp where he was a, a glory K-1 uh, kickboxer. So, like, he's competed in the K-1 kickboxing tournament, uh, glory he's competed in, and is 4-1 in MMA. So the obvious question is how is his ground game? Dennis bazukia has, you know, probably the
0: better ground game,
1: but I think that you know, this matchup should be a striker's delight, and uh, I'm interested to see it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm interested to watch uh these fights on, on Tuesday night. Should mention uh just looked it up, William Knight may, did make weight on his okay, second good. attempt. He initially weighed it in at two hundred seven and a half pounds and uh did make uh the light heavyweight limit of two hundred and six pounds. Of course, uh Coming up this this week uh, for me and Pete uh, on Thursday, we'll be over at awesomeo. for the UFC Vegas number nine strategy shows. We'll help you break down the fight card from a DFS perspective. Then, of course, on Saturday we will have live before lock. Also, of course, I'm a I'm a part of uh, Osimo's coverage daily. I think I think uh, I want to say Wednesday is the only day that I don't have a show on Osmo. Um, but, uh, and of course, uh, you know, look, Pete's just not the MMA DFS guy. You got to check this guy out on social media, Pete, the heat MMA. He, sometimes he throws his little NBA nuggets out there, his MLB nuggets out there. You got to pay. Did, did I see someone, uh, gave you a little kudos for a little NBA nugget the other day?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I don't think I put anything out there, but he was, you know he's obviously a listener to our show, so appreciate that. Uh, the guy ended up taking taking second in some NBA contests and winning, I think, fifty thousand dollars or something. Um, and then you know shout us out saying, you know, you know, hit, you know thank thanks for all the insight or something for because M- he played MMA that night as well. So that's awesome when we see that. I, I love that. And uh, you know, make sure you guys tune in. Jason's hosting shows like crazy. The guy works
0: hard, and uh, you know, I'm happy to see it definitely. I've got a newest show announcement coming here in the next couple of days. I don't even think I've told you yet. What do you got? Yeah, you have to wait and see. Oh man. I'll tell I'll tell you I'll tell you off air. But uh okay. but yeah, okay. it's uh I got I got hit up uh this morning about it. So yeah, we'll uh little, little teaser out there. Of course, uh, be is sure it, to
1: Is it NHL?
0: No, 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 it's not okay, NHL. Okay, I give
1: up me after yeah <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll, I'll tell you after the show of course uh be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on youtube subscribe to this channel the fight hq podcast channel also if you do want the show in audio form you can check it out on apple Podcasts, spotify iHeartRadio. radio and look if there's a audio platform it's not on that you want it on just send me a message you can twitter um if, if you know email jason at dot com. i'll make sure to get the the show up on that platform so of course uh it's uh man i, I guess a final thing here is uh are, are we getting a little pete the heat uh cooking this weekend on the grill
1: yeah man of, of course
0: of course
1: uh you know i i'm back in i'm i i'm on a, a nice little diet now you know the quarantine food needs to stop so uh, you know um I'm always training and everything, but it's time to put nutrition in gear,
0: Uh, dude. Every morning, I want to say about five of the last six mornings, been taking the dog out for a long walk and getting a nice little nice little sweat on. Man, it is here in here in Tampa at about seven eight o'clock in the morning. It's a little muggy. It's a little muggy. A little hot. I'm jealous though, Jason, because guess what?
1: It's it's starting to slowly turn into hoodie weather up here. We're not there yet. But uh it's starting to get pretty chilly. I believe when on Saturday night when my mom was leaving, it was like fifty. So uh it's uh it you know it's it's getting there, bro, and it happens quickly. So enjoy your hot days down there. I am super jealous.
0: It is eight thirty-four p.m. as we're recording the show on Monday night. As I look at my Apple Watch, says it's seventy seven degrees outside. Wow. Is that even your yeah. high up there right now?
1: Um, so it's weird because the, the day gets, the, the day gets pretty hot, obviously depending, like we're probably not in nineties anymore. We'll probably be high seventies and low eighties. But as soon as that sun goes down, man, when you're in new England, it gets chilly. So, um, you know, early mornings and late, late nights, you, you definitely need a hoodie.
0: Uh, yeah, I would not know anything about that. I, look, I love wearing hoodies. I because my wife likes it a little colder in the house than I do, so sometimes yeah. I, I got to put the hoodie on just because you know, I'm a little cold.
1: How I've always wanted to know how many, how many hoodies does a man who lives in Florida have?
0: Uh, I'm trying to think how many I have in my closet. I probably have got three or four. That's it. I dude, I live in Florida.
1: I know, but I'm just saying it's so weird for me to like wrap my head around because like I could have a whole closet of just hoodies. Like I I, I,
0: I will tell you this. My cold my the living in Florida you really don't have much cold weather gear. My cold weather gear I buy is for, you know, football road trips.
1: Yeah, I yeah, imagine like if you guys actually ever got a cold front, you no wonder the whole state of Florida like goes into a panic because nobody has probably, you know, no winter coats, obviously, no. no, no hoodies, no like anything like you probably guys probably just have like windbreakers and that's it.
0: Look, we're very much a society of, you know, <laughs> look, if you come out on a Saturday night, I'm out of the bar. There might be a good chance I might have jeans on, but I probably got flip flops on. Yeah. Course, Makes sense. This in our COVID world there's not really going off the bars. It's true. It's true. This I miss those true. days. I miss those days, man. I miss those days of be going on a Friday night, throwing little darts, having a couple beers with the fellas.
1: It's gonna be some time, man. We'll have to see. I hope uh I hope the winter is not too rough for us
0: yeah I know we'll see what happens here but of course uh, be sure as I mentioned hit that subscribe button hit that notification bell so you know when a new episode does come out we do record this every Monday night so uh, typically the, the show gets up about 10 11 o'clock East Coast time and of course uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter he is at PeteTheHeatMMA I am at Jason underscore Floyd we're, we're always uh, tweeting out all, all the content we have with this show and also with all the shows we do over at so let's to wrap it up for this edition of the Fight HQ podcast